This week on Writers Inc. That's that that is really something that intrigues me, and that's the topic of this book primarily is um, is the juxtaposition between very plugged in online social media and um, absolute wilderness um, in real life. Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business. Editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author J.D. Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out. School's in session. This is Writer's In. Zach, man, I think I'm in trouble. Uh, I just checked my voicemail. Apparently... The FBI has initiated services on my social security number, and I need to call them back right away. <laughs> is that why you moved your desk? Is that, uh, is that why you moved your desk? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm trying to throw off the FBI because apparently I'm I'm under investigation, and they're letting me know with a robocall. I, I just don't like that you have those posters behind you now like I do, especially since I have at least one of those up on my wall. So Look at JD's bookcase. I mean, <laughs> I, I got I to gotta match still... up to that somehow. You think JD's read all those books? <laughs> I, I, I wrote all those books. <laughs> I, I <know>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what happened. I touched my nose to my microphone and I dropped you guys. <laughs> all right. No more nose touching. Yeah, I guess not. <laughs> Oh, crazy, man. So I got um, something I wanted to bring up this week. I don't know if you guys saw this uh, recently. This first started in 2014. Uh, there was a resistance movement in Thailand in 2014, and they were starting to use the three-finger sign from the Hunger Games. <laughs> um, and it's come back. They're, the rebels in uh, Myanmar are using this now in, in, the, in sort of the, the revolution against the dictatorship. And I was like, man, if there was ever a an example of the way like the power of fiction and storytelling, isn't that crazy that they're adopting this symbol from the Hunger Games? Well, are are you sure it's actually coming from the Hunger Games? Because a lot of these things, you know, like they date back. Like one of the things I noticed, like here in the states, if you give somebody the middle finger, that's that's bad. If you go to other countries, there's different ways of doing that same bad thing. Um, you know, like every, every, you know, culture seems to have its, its own version of that. And I've noticed this quite a bit just in, in symbols, like symbol, you know, they, they, they mean something today. They mean something there. They meant something totally different 500 years ago. And you go back a thousand years and that same symbol was used, but it meant something completely different from that. Um, so a lot of these things have been around for a long time. So I don't know I if, think if I, if is, I had to guess, I think Miss Collins is, probably appropriated it, it from somewhere. <laughs> it probably is from there, though, because especially if it's like a revolution type thing. I mean, that's what that whole symbol in the Hunger Games is all about. And I, I don't think it was three fingers. I think it was like maybe it was. I don't remember. But uh, either that, way, yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. So. Are they doing that whistle, too? They had in the commercial. <laughs> 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 I'm trying to remember how it I goes. I heard that on the news. I'm trying to remember <laughs> it now, too. Now it's going to bother me. You, you know it's in your head, though, because it was, it was in every one of those it's commercials, totally and you head. knew it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what else is that going is crazy on? though um yeah it, speaking of crazy goodreads is actually changing their look and feel have you guys noticed this yet no 
Yeah. So if you go to a book page and I, I don't know if, if you can, if everybody can see this or if they're just rolling it out slowly, but there's a little link up at the top that says that they're, they're working on a new look and it's in beta. And if you click on it, like the whole site kind of shifts into this, this new format. Um, it, it, I don't like it. I don't like change, dude. <laughs> it, it's, it's really freaking me out. You know, like I, I go in there and I'm looking like I can't find, you know, like you can't sort your reviews from newest to oldest anymore. And you know, like, I'm sure, I mean, it's beta. So there's probably a lot of stuff they're going to still build in. Um, but you know, like the book cover is, is much larger. They're using a different font and kind of shifted where everything appears on the page. So I, I, I thought Amazon had Goodreads kind of running on autopilot with like one guy in a basement somewhere, just making sure nothing crashes, but apparently they're, they're yeah, working cause, on it. Cause they've been using that same UI since like 2004. So man, that might be the case. Yeah. I'm still not sure why they don't just merge all that together. You know, to me, it's crazy that they, they own Goodreads, but you know, you have to, you know, reviews are posted on Goodreads, but they don't appear on Amazon. Um, you know, and there's probably 10 times as many reviews or more on Goodreads than there are on Amazon for, for whatever reason. Um, the Kindle app actually steers you towards Goodreads when you, when you post a review, which is strange if, you know, because you bought the book from Amazon. Um, right. so I, I don't know. I mean, they, they really should tie all this stuff together, but it, it really, it surprised me that they were doing something over there. It'd be interesting to see what it did to reviews if they did merge at all, because I know that, um, uh, on Goodreads, people tend to rate the books a little lower than they do on Amazon. So it'd be interesting to see what it would do to the averages on Amazon and like how people who are, how people would react to that. Like, you know, does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, like, it's, it's almost a full star from what I've heard, right? Anecdotally. Yeah, and like, like if a, all of a sudden your books lost like a half or full star, I wonder how like people buying on Amazon who never go to Goodreads you know, like how they would react to that. <laughs> It'd be kind of interesting. Well, I think part of it is Maybe you know, in a bad way. Goodreads doesn't verify purchases either. Um, you know, so there's, there's a yeah. lot more reviews there just because of that, you know, people can go in and kind of review whatever they want. So I think there's, there's a little bit of that going on. I'm still trying to figure out the whole half review thing. I mean, cause like when I was in, when I was in school, when you round something, you know, if it's 3.5, it should round to four. Right. But like <laughs> the system gives you three. Um, so yeah, it's one of those math things that just drives me crazy. Yeah, that that whole the whole Goodreads thing is just uh, an enigma to me. I mean, I I really thought when Amazon bought it that they were just going to immediately integrate. I, I was like, wow, what a smart play! Like, of course, you know, the biggest reading website with the biggest world's biggest bookseller, like you merge those two systems, and they never did that. Nope. So I I don't. I, it's still to this day, I'm not quite sure. What, like you said, it's weird. Like the, to push readers to the Goodreads review when when they purchased it from Amazon on their Kindle is just bizarre. Yeah, well, I mean, it's no different than, than Audible, right? I mean, they, they, they're just now like starting to integrate those reviews where you can see Audible reviews on Amazon and, and vice versa, but they've all owned each other for forever. Yeah, the Same parent company anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, so um, what else is going on? Um, TV ads, that that seems to be going well. It's it, I'm seeing some, some strangeness, um, you know, because you, you can't really tell what, you know, where these people are going, but I've, I've seen a big jump in print sales since they started running. Um, oh. so, so I, I think that people, you know, I, I guess it makes sense in a way, but people that see a television commercial for a book, they seem to run out and buy the print version instead of the electronic version, you know, versus people that click on an ad on FaceTime or, you know, one of these other services, you know, they tend to drill through it and, and pick up the ebook. Um, that's the only thing that I've, I've really noticed so far. I mean, it's a, just a huge bump in my, my print sales and it's gotta be coming from that. Um, we just had, I had a conversation with a company that's running it yesterday and we're going to limit the advertising to just New York city and Los Angeles for now. 
um, only because right now they're doing a, a complete scatter shot all over the country and it's making it impossible for me to track anything. Um, and I just personally think I'm going to get better bang for my buck if I'm just hitting those two markets and just saturating them because it's, it's like, you know, everything else you have to hit everybody, you know, five, 10 times before they actually act on it. So the more times you can get in front of somebody, the better. Um, so those two markets made, made the most sense to me. So that's what we're doing. And I, I think that's starting today. Mm. Early indications, uh, ROI, is it, is it worth it? It's honestly, it's hard to say. I think I, I'm in a unique position because, you know, I print um, in, in, in lots of 5,000. Um, you know, so my print cost for print books are, is much lower than if I were doing just strictly print on demand. Um, if I were just print on demand, I, I don't know that it would be worth it if it's not driving ebook sales. And it's just, it's so difficult to, to break them out. Um, you know, I, I, I pulled back quite a bit on, on Facebook ads and Amazon ads, but I, I tweaked it back up again because I saw it, you know, a big hit there when I, when I took those down and, you know, it's, it's a fun experiment, but I don't want to lose sales because of it. So I'm trying to figure out a way to, to walk that tightrope. Um, I, I think if somebody wants to, to increase their print sales, it's definitely a way to go, but it's, it's definitely a young market. Um, uh, the Hulu beta, I think, is going to be the, the bigger return, um, and it's just unfortunately just not open yet. It's not running, um, but, but it sounds like it's getting close. I had a conversation with those guys um, today. Today's Thursday, so on, on Tuesday. Um, so I, I think once that starts, that's going to give you the kind of transparency that you see when you're running uh, Facebook ads. You're going to have an actual dashboard and you're going to see those kind of things. Um, the company I'm dealing with now, it's still very much old school. I'm going to get a report at the end of the month that just kind of tells me where the ads ran um, and that's it. But all, all analog you know, paper stuff. And when you're used to that kind of data, it's, it's tough to take a step back. How are you doing fulfillment on, uh, on those books? I'm using a company that I actually heard about on self-publishing formula. Um, they, they warehouse the books for me um, and they, they ship them out. So when I get purchase orders in, I just send the, the PO order over to them and, and they kick it out. Um, prior to that, I was I was doing it on my own. I had my own warehouse um, and I had an employee in there who, who literally she went in three days a week and she just boxed everything up and shipped it out as it, it needed to go. Um, which is a, you know, an obvious way that you, you can do it. Um, it's just, I had, I was paying for that space and, and now I'm trying to phase that out cause it just doesn't make sense. Um, I mean, I could, I could just as easily put them in my garage or something and have somebody work out of here if I wanted to, but you know, 5,000 books showing up all at once is a, is a lot. It takes up a lot, a lot of room. So I, I was just thinking you could have like, you know, on daddy duty, you could be like, come on, hon, let's play shipping tonight. <laughs> you turned it into a fun game. Yeah. It's a game. Yeah, How it, many books can you put in boxes at one it's, time? It's like the, it's like the dishwasher game right like she, she just learned yes. how to empty the dishwasher and it's like the funnest thing in the world to her that's the greatest game for like two weeks yeah yeah that's the thing <laughs> i'm hoping she learns the, the lawn mowing games you know pretty soon <laughs> yeah i wish my son would learn that game too but I, he doesn't quite understand the rules <laughs> yeah so there's there's yeah there, there's just uh, to touch on what you were saying there, there's a lot of companies out there where you can print in in bulk um and you can save a lot of money so like hardcover books i'm paying somewhere around five or six dollars or so a piece um, to print hardcover books, doing doing it in those kind of numbers, so it's you know uh, probably That's a third. Of, yeah, it's a, probably a third of what it would cost me if I was doing it strictly through Ingram Spark. Um, and because I've got distribution set up through like Baker and Taylor, it works out really well because they, they've got two distribution centers. I get orders from them for whatever reason, they always come in on Sunday. Um, but I'll, you know, ship off a, one or two cases, you know, from my, my printer directly to them. And then they, they ship it off to their, you know, the libraries and the people that actually bought from them. Um, so it, it, it works. No, it's, it's getting there. I mean, it's, um, but there's, you know, always, always ways to improve, I guess. I, I, something interesting on the opposite end of the pay-per-click spectrum. I've I've talked to Jay about this, and but I haven't said anything to you, JD. And I'm, I was going to bring on the pod, bring this up last week when you were talking about ads, but um, I just figured people might find this interesting. Now there is a small caveat to what I'm about to say, but I, in the last two months, in January and February, have had my best months I've had in 
a year and a half probably, and all my pay-per-click advertisements have been off. Really? <laughs> yeah, all of it, 100%. Now, the small caveat I mentioned is that uh, I've I've been going off the momentum of a book bub I had in November. Now, it's still weird because that book bub was in November. December was a decent month, but then that book I had the book bub on just like really did well in January and February. And I cannot figure out exactly what's going on, but like it's, but I turned all that and, and, and like you could make the argument, I guess that like I could have even better sales if my AMS ads were on, like I don't use Facebook ads or anything at all. Um, I only have a Facebook account now. Um, but, uh, but my, uh, my Amazon ads, yeah, I had, I turned them off cause they weren't really doing anything. And I was like, well, I'm just going to try to turn them off and see if I can ride this momentum. And I've had my two best sales months. I've had in like a year and a half. That's crazy. It's bizarre. Uh, yeah, I guess it, you, yeah. It, it's. You, I think it, you'll you'll drive yourself nuts just trying to figure out the the data. You know, like it, when I look at my Facebook ads, I'll I could look at it like on a Monday, and my my cost per click might be like twelve, thirteen cents, and then I could look at it on Tuesday, and it's like fifty seven cents for the same ad. You know, just all all over the place. And you know, I just I try to work off the averages. Um, I, I cut back on my Amazon ads quite a bit. Like anything that's got an A cost above a hundred, I I cut out. Um, so I'm just sticking mm. with the ones that, you know, I, I know are, are selling books. Cause when I started drilling down to the data, I mean, like people were going in there and they were specifically searching for my name and like I was paying for that and you know, you can create negative keywords and you can work around that, but you know, it's, it's just tricky. So like, I just, you know, what, what I typically do now, like I just got a blurb for callers game from Lisa Gardner. Um, so I created an, an Amazon ad for that with her blurb in it and I'm just targeting, you know, her, her fans. So I just, I kind of limited it to just that sort of thing based on the blurbs that I have. Yeah, I mean, we turned uh, we turned all the AMS ads off on three story method a few months ago, and there was an initial dip, and then it just kind of leveled off, and not and not much lower than it was when we were running the ads. And uh, you know, again, it, like to Zach's point, it's like, is it worth spending the time and money on those ads to you know to end up in the same place when <laughs> when you, you know I I don't know like I, I I'm sure it's different for every book and for every author, but. Uh, I wonder if there's a general sort of, um, uh, there's something happening with pay-per-click ads and, and of course with the whole Facebook thing, you know, that's probably a big part of it, but like with privacy issues and uh, the effectiveness of pay-per-click ads, uh, maybe they're just generally in decline right now. Well, I think another thing too that is that it proves about Amazon, I mean, this is only one book and I'd be really interested because uh, Jay and I have a book bub coming up this weekend um, on one of our trilogies, and I'm I'm trying to replicate the same thing I did, like the the the, the campaign and stuff, and and kind of a few things I did, which uh, maybe we'll talk about later. I want to see if they work first, but um, you know, Amazon still really leans on their algorithm, and th at the end of the day, if there's one thing Amazon cares more about than anything, it's their customer and getting the right books in their hands and their algorithm does that. I mean, it, it, it's that recommendation engine is, is so fine tuned and uh, clearly they still, you know, they're not going to favor necessarily favor pay-per-click advertising over that. So, um, you know, may, I could be wrong, but um, you know, I know a lot about Amazon from dealing with them at my past job and some of the crazy stuff they do. So um yeah, so I guess we'll see, but I'm hoping we can replicate that on this other deal we have going on. So, we'll cool. See. 
All right. Well, let's take care of some housekeeping before we get to the interview this week. We want to, uh, again, thank our wonderful sponsors at Kobo Writing Life. Kobo Writing Life empowers you, the author, to take your self-publishing career into your own hands with simple tools to publish your books in any country you please. You definitely got to head on over to KoboWritingLife.com. Uh, if you have a book or a series you're taking wide, you can take advantage of their promotional opportunities, uh, their wonderful support staff they have over there. So if, uh, if your book is wide, you've got to be on Kobo Writing Life, and that's at KoboWritingLife.com. We also want to, as always, give a great shout out to all of our patrons, uh, patrons over at Patreon. That is at Patreon.com slash Writers Inc. Podcast. I uh, really appreciate all of you over there supporting us. So that brings us to the guest for this week. And who is that, J.D.? Uh, this week we got C.J. Box, um, number one New York Times bestseller, uh, 22 novels according to, I believe, Wikipedia, which I, I think has actually ticked up to 23 in the last week or so because his latest one just came out. Um, and, uh, his main character is a guy named Joe Pickett. Um, and C.J. is on the board with me at ITW, and I, I haven't really had a chance to talk to him at all. But whenever I, I read his books or watch his shows or read any of the news about him, for whatever reason, he reminds me of the Marlboro Man. I, yes. I think I think I think it's because he, he lives in Wyoming. I mean, it's Wyoming, just, yeah. yeah, his his office is over a barn. He's got horses right below him. He's you know he's out fishing. He's out hunting. Um, yeah, so Marlboro Man, but writes books. All right, what do you say? Should we get into it? Yeah, here he is, CJ Box. So if I'm ever stranded in rural Wyoming, what should I be worried about? Uh, certainly wild animals and weather. Um, Hopefully you won't be worried about somebody hunting you uh, through the woods, but uh, the weather is extreme here. Definitely. Um, it snows. It can snow almost every month of the year, high in the mountains. And it does. Um, but, and uh, the temperature variations are very um, significant because of the elevation as well. Now I, uh, I visited Jackson a few years back. That's in the southeast corner of the state, I believe. Jackson is the northwest corner of the state. <laughs> okay, close. Uh, are, are there variations in climate? Um, it's a big state, right? So are there, are there is it elevation? Yeah, it is. I mean, the entire state is at pretty high elevation, but um, there are also some desert. It's a huge state. You know, it's, it's the size of France with the population of 600,000 people in it. So there's, I think, seven big mountain ranges, um, most of them running north to south, a couple running east to west, but a lot of variation in the landscape because of the um, elevation. And um, But generally kind of what's ca called steppe climate, um, primarily, gets very hot, gets very cold. Okay. Are you a native? I am. I was born in Casper, Wyoming, which is right in the center of it. Excellent. All right. So are you a, an outdoorsman, a hunter, a gamesman? You know, I am. Um, I grew up doing that, doing all the outdoors things. Um, I'm a very passionate fly fisherman now and try to fish a lot in the summer. Uh, I am a elk hunter, but um, I probably wouldn't. I, I've kind of lost my passion for that. I, I would not hunt elk except I have three adult daughters who are foodies and they love to serve their guest elk. <laughs> so they pressure me every year to go hunting again because as I like to say, because their husbands cannot provide for them. And um, so every year I go and uh, I'm generally successful. 
it's good to be a dad, right? I feel like yeah, you yes. still have some place there. Yeah. Do you guys do any ice fishing in Wyoming? Yes. Um, again, not as much as I used to, but definitely. Uh, I was out there this year for the first time in a while, and um, uh, I've got sons-in-law who are really into it. They, you know, they they've got every all the all the equipment and the tents and the um, huts and the, yeah, it's, they're into it. It's quite a subculture for sure. <laughs> It is. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have a new book coming out. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. It's the 21st Joe Pickett novel. Um, it's called Dark Sky. Uh, debuted March 2nd. Um, I think it's doing pretty well, uh, from what I understand. Um, it, in this book, you want me to tell you about what's in it? Yeah, sure. Or what it's about? I'd love to. Yeah. Okay. Um, in this book, Joe Pickett, who's our game warden protagonist, um, is tasked by the governor of Wyoming to take a high-tech billionaire um, social media mogul elk hunting. And um, with the hope that this mogul will decide to relocate a huge server farm in the state of Wyoming. So Joe's kind of threatened with his job and uh, possibly the loss of his agency if he's not successful. He didn't get along well with the governor. But anyway, um, so Joe agrees. Uh, the, the the billionaire flies in in his jet with his entourage, and shortly thereafter, they're on horseback going into the Bighorn Mountains, um, to hopefully to get this guy an elk. Um, of course, everything goes awry from there. Yeah, we don't want to spoil anything. Uh, what's uh, can you talk uh, in general terms the role of sort of social media and internet culture and its intersection with the more w aspects of wilderness that, that, that are still around today? What was sort of your approach with that? Sure. That's, that, that is really something that intrigues me. And that's the topic of this book primarily is, um, is the juxtaposition between very plugged in online social media and um, absolute wilderness um, in real life. And what happens is that, um, you know, Joe and the media mogul, find themselves without uh, any kind of ways to communicate, any kind of ways to um, uh, move, uh, except on foot. Um, they have no weapons. It's absolutely basic wilderness survival tale um, told with this, this high-tech media background. And it's all about um, how social media... Uh, I feel very prescient with this book because some of the issues in it are some things that everybody's talking about right now, about cancel culture, about, you know, the humiliation of people online by anonymous people, um, what it does to people on the ground, how it can affect uh, people who are on it too much. And um, that argument and the, those ethics are explored in the book, as well as just a basic manhunt um, through the, the, the Bighorn Mountains in the winter with the snowfall. Mm. Were these concerns around technology and social media, um, were those issues you were dealing with as a parent or were your daughters sort of before all of that came about? No, strangely enough, my, my older daughters that are twins were in college when um, Facebook first appeared. And it was at that time only on college campuses, for college campuses. Uh, so they've been around it um, all their lives, and, and my youngest has as well. And they often discuss, um, you know, stories about how people are shamed or judged by others by what, what they post. Um, 
and they they're shying away from do, putting sharing too much um, because of, of the way you know that they've seen other things happen. So I, I'm more aware of it through them because I I really don't do a lot of social media, although I do I do I am on Twitter and Facebook and my daughter manages those. Um, so I'm certainly aware of it, but I've, I've learned over the years what not to post, um, even innocuous things um, sometimes. Uh, and, and I know how dangerous it can be if you overshare. <laughs> yeah. How much, uh, how much advice do you have to take from your daughter as far as what you should be posting? It sounds like she's probably more of an expert than you are on that. She's an expert. Yes. I, I mean, I, I, for a while I did it myself, but I would share things that would make all get all sorts of bad reactions. Um, I'm a fisherman. So I would show pictures of me with holding a fish. And um, even though I released them, uh, I would be admonished by people for fishing and for killing fish. And I, and then other people saying, I bet that tasted good. You know, it's just kind of nuts too. So I, I've learned to keep things off. Um, and and uh, certainly anything that it's done in the outdoors can be taken the wrong way. Um, you, can, you can post a beautiful picture of, of, of you know, a scenery and hiking and people will respond by saying, you know, you're spoiling nature by being out in it. So you, you can't win almost. Yeah, what is your... Uh... Yeah, I mean that that's so true. Uh, it, it seems like that's getting more and, and more drastic as far as, you know, you're you're going to offend somebody. Uh so if we if we set aside maybe your personal use, what role does social media have in your business? Um it's extremely important. Um as far as, you know, announcing new books, giving readers an opportunity to interact in some ways with each other and with me um to some degree. You know, every, uh, um, you know, you can post reviews of the books because um, there, there, there's ways that, you know, readers can't, won't see those in their local newspapers. It, it's, it's essential, um, really, uh, for modern day authors, I think, although some don't like it and some like it too much. And uh, do you do any sort of... Um online advertising or pay-per-click advertising, or is that more in your publisher's realm? Have you dabbled with any of that yet? My publisher does that, and they're very sophisticated. Um, in fact, the last time we had a marketing meeting uh, talking about how they were going to do uh, Dark Sky, um, they were telling me about some of the methods they have of reaching people who don't even know their readers yet. And I said, you know, you guys are doing all the things I hate about social media, but, you know, carry on, you yeah. <laughs> know, um, they're, they're very sophisticated. Yeah. How, how does, how do you feel as though, um, the launch now for this, for the Joe Pickett books is different than, uh, early on. I mean, this is a series you've been working on for 20 years, so I'm sure you've seen a lot change and maybe a lot stay the same over those two decades. Well, this is the first time in 21 years, 27 books that I am at home on the publication date and not on the road with book tour uh, because of the pandemic and the fact that uh, publishers still cannot endorse any in-person events. So that's certainly strange. But um, as far as the media goes and like the, the recognition, um, I'm astonished uh, by the scope of it. Um, 
you know, it's, it's one day after publication. And I just looked before we came on here and um, there's already 45 reviews on Amazon. So people get the book and read it through the night. Um, that, that amazes me. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. What is the, do you have a mindset approach um, that's different for writing a series versus a standalone novel? Yes. Um, I mean, standalones are, I, they're more, they're more difficult, but they're also more rewarding in some ways. Cause with each one, you have to create a whole new world. Um, you don't start the book with a set cast of characters and backstories and history, um, which can also be a problem sometimes, but, um, the standalones I've done have taken a lot more time and um, I've done, you know, I've done, but they also allow me to try things out that I would never put into the series. Um, I did one book as first person, for example, and I've never done that in the series, would never do it. Um, I can tell the, the books other than the Joe Pickett books, the Cassie Duell books, for example, are all told uh, from a woman's point of view to a female protagonist. And that for a male writer, that's a little more challenging. And luckily I have my daughters and my wife and my female agent and my female editor to tell me where <laughs> I went wrong. Um, and hopefully, you know, that's like the dog that didn't bark that everything works. But um, like I said, more challenging, different, different locales. Um, but I like doing both. I really do. Excellent. I saw this tweet on February 10th. It said, uh, I think Big Sky ABC is the best drama on network television. With the last three episodes, it's tiptoeing into Emmy territory. Tell us about that. <laughs> that tweet was by Stephen King. Yes. yes. Um, who, who apparently has read the books as well because he's commented on that. Who knew? Um, I, I, it, it's great. I mean, that that if, as far as my world goes it's a tweet that was heard around the world i saw that posted all over the place and i think a lot of people started watching the show after that as well um it's pretty cool and it's it's that's a little unreal it's like it's as unreal as watching the show every week uh to have stephen king watching it as well and commenting on it so things like that are unanticipated but uh appreciated do you remember uh what you were doing or where you were when you saw that tweet or who, who brought it to your attention first I think a lot of people on Twitter retweeted it, um, people who follow Stephen King. And that's where I saw it first and then went to his feed and saw that he'd also been talking uh, different part in the past had, had talked about the other books, which I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the series you um, you're exec executive producer on that. So uh, what's that experience been like and, and how much uh, or little creative input do you have in what goes up on the screen? My involvement um, as executive producer is I, I provide the source material and then I cash the checks and not much in between. That's um, a good gig. I don't want to be on the set. I don't want to be, I mean, TV is such a collaborative, big, different kind of animal. Um, I don't want, I want to watch it. And I, and I think they're, they're sticking very closely to the source material, but also they have to do TV things. Um, and I understand that. And um, I've always, my wife and I talked about this a lot because the books have been um, optioned on and off since they, you know, since the very first one. And we both always thought if it felt right and we thought it would be a great commercial for the books, um, 
it was worth doing. And it has turned out that way. The, the, the sales of the Cassie Dual books have increased 20 times since Big Sky came on the air. And um, the Joe Pickett books have also li been lifted by just uh, the, the recognition and the exposure. But I don't expect them to be you know, real faithful to all of the books and everything that happens in them. I know that going in, I think the best thing to do is have people doing the series who you trust and let them go. Hmm. Had you had any opportunity or decisions around uh, television versus uh, feature film? Yes. Um, several of the books have been optioned for a, for a movie, um, including the first one open season. And that was optioned on and off for years. Um, I always, once the series got going, I always thought I was much more excited by television than movies because I thought, you know, a long form telling of the novels is the, is a writer's dream as opposed to a two hour, you know, one and done kind of thing. So I'm very pleased the way this is going. Do you write with that in mind now? No. Interesting. Okay. So I you, don't. you write the book the way it's coming to you and not, you don't worry about where it's going to go after that. No, I, I, you know, the Cassie dual books are going to be, are all good, have all been optioned um, for the big sky series. So they're going to, they're going to go book by book through those. And um, I'm going to start a new Cassie dual book this summer or fall. And I'm going to, you know, it's going to be my Cassie dual, um, not the TV Cassie dual. And I'm just going to write it as I would if there was no series. Great. Can you uh, talk to about your writing for a minute? Uh, where do you do it? How do you do it? Do you have a, a, a certain time, a certain place, a, a ritual of any kind? Um, I have a, an office um, on top of our horse barn that I come out and go. That's where this is. Um, I, I right there. It's, a, it's physically separate from our house. So it feels more like an office than the basement office I used to have at our former house. Um, I, I like that separation during the day. I can hear the horses, you know, kicking the side of the barn and things like that. And there's, and uh, got a good view of the mountains. Um, so th this, I um, tend to be a morning writer. Uh, I edit. What I do is I start the day by editing what I wrote the day before, rewriting it and pushing on. Um, hopefully a thousand words a day minimum when I get going. And, um, that's my process. What if you don't hit those thousand words? What do you do the next day? Oh, I, I, I do hit the thousand words. I just keep going, even though it may be feel like a crummy day till I hit that. Cause otherwise I'll just be grumpy all day. <laughs> it's not that much. It's about four pages. I mean, that's not so hard. Um, but I find that if I just keep pushing forward, I can always go back and backfill it later, even if it doesn't, it's not flowing so well. And do you, do you, hold, do you keep this pace in a, in, in just drafting mode or is this 365 days a year, you're getting a thousand words in? Um, well, I start out with, uh, you know, I, I research the topics that I'm going to cover because I always have modern day, um, uh, issues in the books. I, I do that uh, uh, that research, and that sometimes means going places or doing things so I can write about them. And then I sit down and do kind of a bullet point outline from first chapter through the end, and then I write on top of that outline. And I just I treat it like a job, five days a week, um, usually not on weekends, and um, until it's done. 
And what's the ballpark? How, how long does that take you to at that pace to, to finish a draft? Usually seven to nine months, um, sometimes quicker. During a pandemic, much quicker because I have no distractions at all and I'm not traveling. I'm so far ahead of myself that I can't believe it. Um, but that's the normal pace. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. I have uh, one more question for you. Hopefully it'll be uh, sure. fun. It, it's very open-ended. Uh, you've been in the, in the industry a long time and seen a lot of things, I'm sure. Uh, what do you think the future holds for publishing maybe three or five years out? You know, I don't see any reason not to say that it won't continue to just grow and um, in different ways and expand. I mean, uh, the biggest difference I have noticed over the last few years is the growth of audio books. Um, and I think ebooks have sort of plateaued in, in my experience and looking at my numbers. There are some people who just simply will not read on a, on a computer or on a pad. Um, so it's like 50-50 hardcover books and um, ebooks. But the big difference is the growth of ebooks, um, excuse me, audio because people can down, download a book to their phone. They can listen to it all day. Um, I don't know what other ways it's going to go, but I, what I found out about publishers is they're much like farmers and ranchers. No matter how well things are going, they have something to bitch about. They always act like the world is coming to an end soon. Nobody's reading anymore, but every year more books are sold than the previous year. And um, so I, I'm very optimistic. All right, Zach, uh, what are you going to do if you get stranded in the middle of Wyoming? I was going to say, I'm very envious of his lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want to move to Wyoming now. My wife and I have talked about Montana for a long time, but uh, I, I kind of I want to now I kind of want to move up to that part of the country. <laughs> I'm a little jealous. Um, I'm pretty happy. It was a great now. interview. Uh, I, I really like, uh, um, you know, as I'm sure you know, Jay, I was going to bring up. I love how you, when you know the conversation you guys had around technology yes. and, and stuff, and how that related to his book. Because everyone knows that I'm the anti-social media guy and all that <laughs> stuff. Um, and uh, and and I I thought that that whole part of the conversation was really interesting. It's always here. It's always interesting too to just hear um, the the perspectives of you know these these level of authors. Um, and, and CJ is obviously at a very, very high level and, and been doing this for a long time. And, uh, yeah, it was a great interview. Yeah, I think one of the things that you find when you talk to a lot of these people that are you know consistently hitting the New York times list, um, somebody at their publisher is usually handling their Twitter feed and their Facebook account and yeah. these other things. And, you know, and, and it's not just because they don't want to do it. There's, there's a lot of them, you know, like I, I personally have, I think 15 different Facebook accounts now, like I've lost track because they, you know, there's Facebook in every country. Um, you know, so you've got multiple publishers and they all want you to, to post. And, you know, so I, I've got a service where I upload pictures that, you know, like personal type pictures. So if I create, you you know, a picture of my daughter outside sledding or whatever, I, I throw it up there and then they farm that out to the, the publishers and the people that handle my social media. Um, so that, that's essentially how it works, you know, and, it, and I can jump in there. Like I, I still use Twitter on my own, but that's the only one that I actually do on my own. And there's, there's somebody else who also uses Twitter on my behalf. Um, so that's kind of how that, that whole thing plays out. Um, the sharing thing is, you know, he touched on that a little bit and you know, it's, it's, it's a weird dynamic. I think a lot of people are, they, 
they they hide behind their responses. Like they they'll see a picture and they they feel very bold about what their you know their their criticisms of things that they see online. I think they'll say a lot of things online that they wouldn't necessarily you know say if they saw somebody face to face. And that you know has had started you know it started back when the social media first started, but it seems to be getting worse and getting worse and getting worse. I think that kind of thing's going to come to a head. Um, and just overall sharing, you know, that that's something I think everybody, you know, if you've got any kind of public life, you know, you, you try to figure out like what what is too much, you know, like I, I've had plenty of people tell me I shouldn't post pictures of my daughter at all. Um, but, you know, she's she's a big part of my life. And, you know, I, I talk about her all the time. So I, I do that. But, you know, I, I know I have got plenty of author friends that that don't, you know, their, their kids pictures have never shown up on social media and they make a conscious effort to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, I think I'm in that camp. Um, I, I never. I've never created a social media account for myself. It's always been for, for Jay Thorne and the author persona. And, uh, and I've always just posted stuff relevant to like authors and, and readers. So I don't even know what it feels like to like put my family pictures up there or talk about like, yeah, I, I don't know. Zach, you, you started as uh, with like sort of a personal approach and then you eventually kind of transitioned into more posting just about books and stuff. Right. Talk about me or JD? You, yeah, Zach. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I was like, yeah, I mean, I got on the Facebook, um, and and all the social media platforms early on just for personal reasons, and uh, you know, and, and then I, I really used it when I was doing my whole uh health and wellness thing that I did for a while, and uh, really kind of doubled down on it, especially Instagram, and then when I started writing, yeah, I mean, that was like the natural thing until uh, I just left altogether two years ago and just have I haven't even logged into social media. I, in a while. So, um, and don't use it at all. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, I definitely started out from a personal level. So yeah. Yeah. it's no different, honestly, than the, the advertising we were talking about earlier, you know, like I think, you could talk to some authors and they'll swear by social media. They're, they're in there, you know, on Facebook, 10 hours a day, talking to everybody, responding to every single comment. And they personally believe that's what's driving sales. And then you've got people like me that, you know, have, you know, like CJ and others that just outsource the entire thing and really don't have a whole lot to do with it other than posting a couple, you know, personal things every once in a while. And, you know, I, I, I in my mind, I like, from what I see, I, I've never seen social media influence my, my individual sales, or at least I no. can't tie anything back to it. Um, and I don't want to get caught up in that time suck. And I've always been a fairly private guy. So, you know, I, I don't like posting a lot of those, you know, those types of things. So I don't go into that kind of detail. Um, but you know, I've, I've got friends that, you know, four or five times a day, they've got a new Instagram up and you know, they, I could, you know, you know what they ate for lunch, you know, it's like, they just put everything out there. I just, yeah. I just think, you know, like people post vacation pictures and I just think of the burglars that are sitting there watching for those right. going, Oh, Hey, he's in Amsterdam this week. This week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. yeah. Yeah. You know, and there was something else that, um, CJ and I talked about and it related to the conversation with Gene last week, which is this idea of, of executive producer or more generally the role that authors have when they're when they sell rights to their work to other mediums. JD, what is your sort of general take on that or, or your approach? I know you have several several things that have been optioned. You have things that are in, in production. Um, how much or little input do you want or are you going to get? I, the, the less I have, the better to be, to be honest with oh, you. I'm like, why is that? well, the only, for, first of all, I think he, he hit it right on the head. He, he said that it's a commercial for the books and, and that's how I see it too. Like, because it's totally out of my control. I mean, I, I could jump all over it and I could try to influence, you know, the writing. I could, you know, say, I want this to happen. I want that to happen. Um, but you know, if I do that, all I'm doing is aggravating that the people that are actually making the, you know, what, whatever is happening TV show or movie, um, and, and turning them off to the entire process. And I would much rather they just approach it the way that they want to and 
and they do what they want with it. Um, as far as an executive producer, I'm, I'm, I'm an executive producer on everything that we've, we've optioned so far. Um, that's just one of the things that my agent always negotiates into it. Um, from what I can tell, all that means is just a slightly bigger paycheck, you know, when, when they start doling out the money. Um, is it status too? Is it, there's some status involved with that? Yeah. I mean, because obviously your name appears in the credits and that kind of thing. Um, so that that's, you know, from what I've been told, that's that's useful. Um, I my, The only thing I've ever cared about is I just want, you know, based on the book by J.D. Barker to, to pop up somewhere in the opening, you know, scenes. And they've they've held that over my head as a carrot, you know, when you know, to try in negotiations like, well, OK, if you want that, we're not doing this, this and this, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, like Josh, you know, Josh Mallerman, Bird Box is on Netflix and like his name doesn't appear in the, in the opening credits. And I'm sure it's somewhere in the, the back end. Um, but that was one of the biggest things that, that Netflix aired. You know, it might still be the most watched as far as I know. Um, you know, like that's a huge advertisement. So, you know, as an author, I think that's what you really have to think about. Even if it means a smaller payday, you know, it's, it's going to work itself out in the wash if you've got your name in the, on the front end of that and people see it, you know, whether it's a, a weekly episode and it's, it's thrown out there or, you know, at the start of a movie. Yeah, that, I think that bu- that's that book. I think still hit like number two on Amazon after that movie yeah, came out. Yeah, it, it like, did. Yeah, I mean, it release, it actually yeah. it hit the New York Times bestseller list when the movie came out. Like it didn't when yeah. when the book initially came out. It didn't. Um, so it, it can move the needle, you know. And obviously Stephen King, you know, we have to mention him. He t- he tweeted about the the movie. He didn't tweet about the book. Um, but all those kind of things drove it. Um, you know, and that that obviously influenced the sales on that book and the next book that came after it. And you know, you can ride that wave for a while. Yeah, and Zach, I know that you you have a, a personal interest um, in the video game industry and how that correlates to the the publishing industry. Uh, does it work the same way? Are, are books uh, are video games uh, created adapted from books? Uh, I mean, very rarely. I mean, there's a couple of cases where that's happened. I mean, The Witcher probably being the biggest one. Um, the Witcher franchise <clears throat> were obviously books first and the video games are what made it popular and even made it possible to be a TV show. Um, uh, there's another series called Metro, which is a, a post-apocalyptic book series, but uh, no, that's usually not, it's usually not books aren't usually getting adapted that way. It's usually those, it's usually original stories um, that, that are, that are coming out of games. Um, but, but I, I, I loved, I loved hearing CJ's approach to, to stuff being adapted because that's always been, you know, I, I'm, I haven't been in the fortunate position where like JD has or CJ has or I've had stuff optioned or, um, you know, actually made. But I've always told myself I would have that same attitude of like, I ha- it's a different thing. It's it's not my interpretation of what it's I'm not a director. I'm not a filmmaker. I just have to give them the source material and let them do what they're going to do with it. I think that you can't hold it that close to your, you know, it, it's like we always talk about Jay, uh, you know, the you know, authors, they write the one book and then they treat it like their baby and stuff. And, you know, at some point you got to let that go. And I think it's the same thing here where you just have to kind of let it go and let the people who know what they're doing, do what they want with it and just trust that, uh, they're, they're going to do well. So I, I loved, I loved hearing CJ say that. Cause I think that's definitely the right attitude to go with that stuff. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, yeah, I agree. It was a really fun conversation. Uh, you know, he's, so knowledgeable and he, he's been in the industry for a long time. So I think it's always great to get that perspective from someone who's, you know, publishing their 23rd book in a series. Uh, uh, you know, that, that was fantastic. So excellent. Uh, JD, who's on the docket for next week? Next week, we've got Dacre Stoker. 
Um, ah. Bram, Bram Stoker's great grandnephew. Um, he's got a Kickstarter out, which kind of caught my eye, and I, I wanted to, to have him come on and talk about it. Um, the, but they're they're creating first editions of of Dracula, um, and, and putting them out there. So they're basically reprinting the the first edition, um, and then they're aging the books. You know, depending on what level of Kickstarter you go to make it make it look like a, a first edition. Um, and and like I've been in the hunt for a first edition Dracula since I worked on that you know the prequel to Dracula with them you know a couple years back, um, and they're expensive. You know, like anywhere from twenty to, to fifty thousand dollars to because there's just not that many of them um he's he's got one which is fantastic um you know and, and there's pictures of it i think in the kickstarter but it, it was essentially bram's uh, copy of of dracula the uk version of it um his family has that um and if it's the one i'm thinking of bram actually went through it um when they were creating the paperback they had to uh cut back the, the amount of text that would appear so he actually went through that edition and he, he lined out the stuff that could be deleted um and then that's the copy that they used when they created the the paperback edition um so so really cool stuff but i i like the idea of what they're doing um you know creating books that look like first editions um and, and putting them out there um because my you know my daughter's three right now and i'm trying you know she's starting to read a little bit and I, I really want her to start on some of the classics when she's at that point um so i've been looking at building our, our classic library you know like i started with charles dickens and things like that so I, one way or another i'm going to be out there buying a lot of these older books um and it would be kind of cool to have some that actually look like they were older and not have to spend you know twenty to fifty thousand dollars for for these these various editions yeah, if, if you you can't get a version of Dracula, there's no hope for anybody else. <laughs> I, you I can have a guy. I was thinking the same thing. I, I can get one. The the thing is, like, do you really want to pay that kind of money for a you know a first edition book? Um, yeah. I, I've stumbled into a lot of first editions, and that's kind of half the fun. Like, I, I found a first edition um, Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. I found it in a um, a used bookstore uh, in the back. It's actually sound, signed by Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, and, and I bought it for $2 because the bookshop owner had no idea, you know, what it was, you know, or what it was actually worth. And I, I, I don't even know that the value on that at, at this point. Um, so those kind of like, I, I kind of like to find them in different places. Um, you know, David Morrell was kind enough to send me a, a first edition of uh, First Blood, um, you know, which, which is cool to have. So I've, I've got a, a pretty decent little collection going. But when you stumble into them, that's that's half the fun, like just going out there and just buying one, you know, that's it, it takes a lot of the joy out of it, I think. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll bury a copy of Dracula in my backyard for six months and sell it to you for only eight grand. So. <laughs> the movie tie-in cover? No, I, really, well, it's a first edition. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really hope that he does talk about the aging process, like what they do to actually make that look yeah. like an, an old book, because I'm sure that's that's got to be interesting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's it's going to be fun, and I'm I'm hoping to get some dirt on you, JD. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure he's got some. some dirt on him. To yeah. <laughs> you like that? As long as, as, long as it's uh, from a graveyard, I guess it's okay. All right. <laughs> uh, to our listeners, make sure you go to writersinkpodcast.com and grab the free Revision Masterclass, where you can see the storytelling process from beginning to end. We'll see you next episode, and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers, Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.